0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Once the United States military started looking for them, they couldn't stop finding them. Unidentified balloons were everywhere. The US military and President Joe Biden decided the best course of action was simple. Shoot these unknown objects out of the sky. Weeks later, we're finally learning that only the first of these balloons to be shot down has anything to do with China. The others likely belong to scientists and hobby clubs. Today, former director of war studies at the Australian Army Research Centre and adjunct professor at University of New South Wales, Canberra, Albert Palazzo, on how balloons became a threat. It's Thursday. February 23. Good afternoon. Albert, a few days ago, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, held this press conference where he admitted that the US military had shot down some balloons and that these balloons actually weren't all owned by China.
1: Last week, in the immediate aftermath of the incursion by China's high-altitude balloon, our military, through the North American Aerospace Defense Command... So
0: it was all pretty unusual, wasn't it? What did you think as you heard him speak?
1: <laughs>
0: well, at his press
1: conference, you know, President Biden admitted that the three balloons that were shot down, the two that were shot down over U.S. territory by the Americans and one that was shot down over Canadian territory were most likely or almost certainly balloons belonging to hobbyists or to perhaps scientific researchers. We know that a range of entities, including countries, companies and research organizations, operate objects at altitudes for purposes that are not nefarious, including legitimate scientific research these kinds of balloons are going to be fairly common. Both universities, weather organizations, research organizations will be launching balloons to do atmospheric testing, to collect data, wind changes. Plus, there are a lot of enthusiasts out there who also like to uh, put things into the atmosphere and see how they perform or collect data for their own personal interests or for the interests of their clubs. I've directed my team to come back to me with sharper rules how we will deal with these unidentified objects moving forward. Distinguishing between those that are likely to pose safety and security risks that necessitate action and those that do not. But there's also something very serious happening here. If any object presents a threat to the safety and security of the American people, I will take it down. We have to sort of put aside the chortles of the joke and look at the more serious side is, is that the U.S., in response to a real national security threat, picked up things that they didn't pick up in the past, and the response was to shoot them down.
0: Right, because that first balloon that appeared in US airspace at the end of last month, the one that started all of this, it was potentially a real security threat, wasn't it? It belonged to China, not to hobby clubs. So what do we know about it?
1: Yeah, so... When the Chinese balloon entered U.S. airspace at the end of January, entered U.S. airspace over Alaska, drifted southwards over Canada, and then meandered its way across the U.S. until the U.S. shot it down off the coast of North Carolina. This just wasn't an ordinary you know, party balloon. This was a massive structure, as these kind of balloons are. You know, it was 20 or 30 meters tall, and dangling below it was a surveillance pod the size of several school buses. The kind of thing that doesn't just accidentally float across your sky. It had to be deliberately released, and also it was an illegal act. You don't want it coming down on somebody's house. So they waited until it got to the Atlantic, They engaged, took it down, landed in the ocean, and now they're in the process of recovering it. But let's not forget here that this was a violation of sovereignty, and the United States had every right to shoot it down. And when you're going to violate somebody's sovereignty to collect intelligence, which everyone does, everyone, you know, the U.S. collects stuff on the Chinese, the Chinese satellites are doing the same to the U.S., the key thing to always remember is don't get caught. And if you get caught, have a lot of deniability. So the Chinese have violated, you know, two fundamental rules of intelligence. One, they got caught. And two, they were caught violating some other country's sovereignty. And it also represents an escalation. And that's where it's really uncomfortable.
0: Right. And of course, we know all of this now, Albert, but in the early days, there was a lot of speculation about what these objects that were being targeted actually were. The US military initially didn't reveal much about what was going on. And so the space got filled by saying that these things might be UFOs or that China might have had this secret battalion of spy balloons. What are some of the theories that you heard? Well,
1: those are the main ones.
0: They say the balloon is part of a worldwide fleet that have been used to collect intelligence in over 40 countries across five continents. The balloons manufacture...
1: And that the Chinese have this, you know, super ability to insert balloons anywhere they want. The kind of technology that gave the Chinese not just the ability to listen to U.S. communications and to pinpoint exactly where they were coming from, who they were coming from.
0: All of this is especially alarming as the balloon passed over sensitive military sites. Before
1: the US Air- People will respond to these things, there's a lot of conspiracies out there, or they're very easy to generate conspiracies and they spread like wildfire. Crazy stuff. Something other than us, a higher
0: being, is monitoring our skies regularly, and it's actually pretty mind-blowing. This could be a dry run for balloons that would be called top delivery platforms for nuclear EMP attacks, right?
1: We think where it's a spy balloon and we just shoot it down, or does China want us to shoot these things down for something that is much more evil than we could see at this moment in time? And within a matter of a few days, we got through that whole process.
0: Right, but why is it that all of a sudden the US military was detecting A whole series of balloons, because it seems like we went from a situation where no one had even heard of balloons being a threat to having all of these balloons pop up in a row. Yes, well,
1: the United States borders are protected by a satellite and ground-based radar network a legacy of the Cold War when they built uh, the NORAD system to protect the United States from a nuclear missile attack. And it's designed to spot the launch of very fast-moving, very large things. And so the radar network is tuned to find that threat because that's the prime danger. So after the Chinese balloon was shot down, or perhaps even before that, the United States military ordered the tweaking of these radars so that they could look at other areas of the electromagnetic space spectrum. They took, you know, that them as optimized to find fast-moving missiles and had it look for things that are slower and perhaps have a lot less metal in them. <laughs> so, The systems are able to find that too, it turns out. Suddenly, the sky had more things in it of interest than it had previously because they hadn't looked for it.
0: And it is fascinating, isn't it, that the first response when these things of interest are detected in the sky, things which we should note ultimately mostly turn out not to be threats is for the US President and the Canadian Prime Minister to send in fighter jets armed with missiles to chase them down. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. But, you know, also on this, you know, we have to accept that President Biden was responding not only to national security concerns, but was also under considerable pressure from political rivals uh, or the opposition in Congress and within the states that were affected to uh, be seen to be doing something. Here's that opportunity for misadventure to come because you know the president came under pressure in the political space, in the American domestic space. Fortunately, in this case, it was, you know, nothing of serious consequence. And the next time, we may not be so lucky.
0: We'll be back after this. As a a. 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you receive The Saturday Paper stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer.
1: For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the
0: possibility of a better ending.
1: Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and
0: then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill.
1: I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Albert, China has denied, of course, that this first balloon that was shot down is or or was a spy balloon. And... It's accusing the US of being hysterical in its response. The US, meanwhile, is saying that there is evidence that it was a spy balloon and it's also refusing to apologise for shooting it down. Australia is saying that the US behaved in a measured way. So what do you make of the public statements that we're seeing about this on both sides?
1: Well, I would say the US responded in a legal way. Whether it was a weather balloon, whether it was a spy balloon, or whether it was some other kind of social entertainment balloon, none of that really matters, because they launched a balloon that drifted over another country's sovereign territory, and they didn't tell the country they were doing it. But the point here is that from the start, they did something that was illegal under international law and then have tried to justify by saying it's harmless. And whether it's harmless or not is irrelevant. The problem here is for China is that they got caught, and now they're trying to come up with a rational excuse for it, and it doesn't hold in any water because it doesn't go to the fundamental violation of international law. The Communist Party has to send a message to the Chinese people that we're outraged at what these perfidious Americans have done. And that's fine, but... I would hope that behind the scenes through back channels, there's a other message being delivered quietly to the Americans saying, all right, you know, We did something that, you know, perhaps we shouldn't have and oops, sorry, because you don't want this episode to, you know, sour relations between the two countries. They need to start creating really strong channels of communication and understanding so that when something like this happens, it doesn't escalate into very dangerous decision making. The Chinese need to get to the bottom of this, of how did their organization allow this to happen and jeopardize Chinese-American relations at this time when the two countries actually need to start working together more closely? And the senior leadership in Beijing knows that they need to work more closely, and yet another part of the organization seems to have cut their legs out on that. And you know, trips have now been canceled, engagements have now been cancelled. And just like in the Cold War, a bit of, you know, making up now has to occur. And hopefully that will occur rapidly.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that the channels of communication and understanding aren't very open right now between the US and China. And there has long been this fear, hasn't there, that as the militaries of both countries come into closer and closer contact, that there could be some sort of miscalculation that leads to retaliation and becomes bigger than it needed to be. And so if you look at the way that This situation has escalated and, you know, balloons that aren't spy balloons being shot out of the sky. Do you think that this can teach us any lessons about how the kind of underlying fear that exists can lead to miscalculations?
1: Yeah. In the sort of national security space, political leaders, Biden and uh, Xi Jinping, they're put into positions where they have to make decisions that have consequences under a great deal of pressure. They need opportunities where they can either escalate if necessary and de-escalate where it's appropriate. And since at the moment we don't have good channels to de-escalate for Biden to get in touch with uh, the Chinese and say, okay, what exactly happened here? The opportunity to make a bad decision is there. And then those bad decisions have a tendency to snowball. The big takeaway is is that these two very powerful countries need to institutionalise mechanisms to manage these problems and eliminate misadventure or miscalculation.
0: Right. And so if those lessons are not learned, Albert, what does this situation tell us about what could happen if the stakes were higher than balloons, if there is a, a miscalculation that could actually cost lives?
1: Yeah. Yeah, one of the great... Fears we have is that there have been a couple occasions now, such as in, in 2001, a U.S. spy plane was flying over international waters, and the Chinese sent up two interceptors, and there was a collision. The uh, Chinese uh, plane and pilot were lost, and the American plane managed to land on Chinese territory. You know, for the Chinese, that was a great coup because they they now had the opportunity to take apart an American spy plane. And last year, there were a couple of occasions where U.S. warships and Chinese ships came very close to each other. And if there was ever a collision at sea and an American warship, you know, got sliced in half and there was a loss of 200 American sailors... Well, you could see that quickly escalating into a very serious reaction. And then you find yourself in a very serious war. And it can happen very quickly.
0: Albert, thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Bye. This week marks one year since President Vladimir Putin ordered Russian troops to invade Ukraine. According to the UN, at least 8,000 civilians have been killed since the invasion began, with a further 13,300 injured and nearly 8 million people displaced. The conflict continues, with US President Joe Biden visiting Kiev this week to meet with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. And a court in Queensland has denied an application by the media to name a high-profile man charged with rape. The application by News Corp 9, Network 10 and the ABC sought to identify the person charged with raping a woman in Toowoomba in 2021. Queensland law prohibits the identification of people accused of serious sex offences until the matter reaches a committal hearing. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.